The road has been a little bit bumpy for the Israelites so far, hasn't it? It hasn't been an easy road for them to tow as they've come out of Egypt. But God's people in this passage have arrived at a key point in their journey. As I said in my introduction, they're they are at that hinge. If you think of a door, uh, there is two plates, one bolted to the, the threshold, the door frame, and the other one bolted to the door. And in the middle, you have this hinge, this cylinder that holds things together. That's what 19, 1 to 6 gives us. They are at this key point in their journey. And I want to pause for just a few moments and reflect back on what precedes uh, the book of Exodus. What's the first book of the Bible? Genesis, right? Uh, These are actually one continuing story together. We tied that into a sermon earlier uh, in this series. And I believe this passage, because it speaks of covenant, this covenant language, a covenant is agreement uh, between two parties, uh, it, it calls us to look back at a key covenant in Scripture. Uh, in Genesis 12, uh, there was an important covenant made in Genesis 12 uh, with a man named Abraham, or Abram at that time. We established early on in our journey through Exodus that the, the one key to understanding God's inner workings with his people is to look back at what has preceded. So Genesis and through the beginning part of Exodus has preceded. And I think Abraham plays a key role in understanding uh, this passage. A key piece of information help us, helping us understand the present passage is the covenant that God made with Abraham. God tells Abraham very clearly in Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, he says this, And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. This is God's agreement, this covenant that he has made with Abraham. And the picture of blessing that we have in this passage is that God's people, Israel, who are, if you read through scripture, descendants of Abraham, have now arrived at Mount Sinai to, in a sense, meet their maker, to meet God, to see God in all of his glory as we proceed through this passage. God established a covenant with these people long before they arrived at the foot of the mountain of glory. And so we can see God's promise playing out within this passage right here before us and all throughout uh, the Old Testament, all throughout Exodus. And so looking now into our present passage, drawing us back around to Exodus 19, it brings us to our main idea God has kept his promise of salvation and now calls his people to respond in preparation and obedience, okay? So chapter 19 is all preparation for, if you've read Exodus much, chapter 20, and what's in chapter 20 is the law of God, the Ten Commandments as we know them. God has kept his promise of salvation and now calls his people to respond in preparation and obedience to receive the law of of God. Looking back now to another promise of God, a little bit further down in history, now speaking to Moses, uh, God made a promise to Moses back in Exodus chapter 3. Uh, where was Moses at, Moses at in Exodus chapter 3? Do you guys know? He's at this same mountain that the Israelites have been brought back around to again. He met God in Exodus chapter 3 in, in a bush that burned but was not consumed. 
at this very mountain. And, and, and there God said to Moses in, in Exodus chapter 3, verse 12, he says, but I will be with you and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. Hear this. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God where? On this mountain. Do you see how our God is a promise-keeping God? He has now brought them back to the mountain where he promised Moses, who in that moment was doubting God, doubting his ability to be God's instrument and tool to bring the people out of slavery, out of Egypt, out of oppression, to salvation, to redemption, to the light that is God on this mountain. Although the immediate context of this passage is focused on Israel's preparation to meet God and receive the law, we can also understand kind of a side point in this passage is that trusting the Lord is a key aspect of their relationship and interaction with them. Trusting God. There's a reason why I put two covenant promises of God to his people that he's upheld until this point before you because trusting the Lord at his word is important in the life of a follower of Jesus. Another word for trust is what? Faith. To have faith in the promise and the word of God. So I ask you this morning, do you have faith or do you trust the promises of the Lord? Do you trust the way that God has ordered things? If, I, if I'm honest about my inner dialogue at times, the, the tension of my flesh and God's spirit that has indwelt me, there, there are times where I, I do struggle to trust the Lord. Is anybody else with me in that? Okay, and I, I actually believe it's, it's a good and humble position to be in when, when you declare, as the man did in Mark 9.32, Lord, I believe you, and then he says, help my unbelief. Or in other words, I, I know I've felt this way, Lord, Lord I trust you, help where I, I don't trust you. Show me your way. Help my heart to, to trust and understand your will and your purposes. And it's in these moments that it's so important to look back at the promises of God in Scripture. God has kept His promise to Abraham. God kept His promise to Moses. God, we're going to see later, God has kept His new covenant promise through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so even though the, the road before you may be rocky, we can trust, we can have faith in the promises of the Lord. We can have faith that he's going to uphold what he said he's going to do. We can trust him. He is trustworthy. Moses also believed God, and because he believed God, his people were saved. It says this of, of Abraham, Abraham back in, in Genesis. It says that Abraham trusted the Lord, and hear this, and it was counted to him as what? Righteousness. Because he trusted the Lord, God declared him right, righteous. Moses believed he trusted God. God saved his people because of faith and trust. So his people are saved and are actively being prepared for 
the Lord's work. I believe 19, 1 to 6 gives us kind of the big picture of what's going on here. And now 7 to 25 is, is going to give us some details. And I'm going to be honest with you, it's kind of a terrifying picture that, of what the Israelites are going to come into contact with. Okay? And so let's look to uh, 7 to 25. It's a little bit long passage, so so track with me, follow with me, try to pay attention to what's going on. There's a lot of back and forth dialogue between Moses and God, but I felt it was important to read this passage in its, this section in its entirety. It says this, so Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. So that's what happened in, in one to six. God gave Moses the words to share, the covenant to share with God's people. And Moses obeyed and he comes down the mountain to the people and shares that with them. All the people then answered uh, Moses's words with this. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. They agree to the covenant. And then what does Moses do? Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. So he goes back and tells the Lord. Then it says, And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the, of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people, I want you to hear this, and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments, and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain, or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. Why? Because the holiness of God is resting on that mountain. Verse 13, no hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot, whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, then they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people, and he obeyed the Lord, it says, and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. I want to pause there because the ladies in the room are like, hey, what? I'll get to that a little bit later. So that file that in the bank. We'll, we'll circle back around to that one. Okay, ladies? Verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called to Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses obeyed the Lord. He went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord uh, to look, and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people can't come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us. Set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, Go down and come up, bringing Aaron with you. But do not let the priest and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. 
We throw out this term awesome a lot. We don't use it very well. But this section right here is awesome. We see an awesome display of God coming down on the mountain. So who is this God that Israel said, we'll make a covenant with you. We're going to make a covenant with you. So we, before we get into the, into the meat of the text, we're going to get to three points a little bit later. But first, we're going, to, we're going to see the God that we're dealing with. And so our first point is that we're confronted by the holiness of God in this passage. We're confronted by the holiness of God. Again, an awesome display of power. The ground trembling, people trembling, the holiness and glory of God descending on this mountain. Going back to verses 16 to 20, it says, on the, on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Okay, I want to pause there because I want you guys, I don't think we, obviously we don't have a grip on the holiness of God, but I, I think we are very irreverent to the power and might of the Lord Almighty. And we see his awesome display in this passage that he is so powerful, he is so glorious, he is so great that when the people came to the mountain, they trembled in his presence. Do you tremble in the presence of God? Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln. And then hear this, and the whole mountain, what, trembled greatly. Now the creation, God's creation that he spoke into existence is shuddering under the glory of God. It's moving. Anybody here been through an earthquake before? I have. I've, you guys know where I'm from. I'm from Southern California, moved here a couple of years ago. Okay, we got the, the earth moves out there. And I know that there was a time, this is just a few years ago, I'm at home one day, and the home that we had in California overlooked, we were, we were out in the desert, and where we were at was kind of on a, on a valley. We lived in a town called Apple Valley. And so the house had a gorgeous view out the front window. We had these big front windows that looked down on, on the desert valley, and then off in the distance, probably about 30 miles from our house. See, you can see things in Southern California because there's not gigantic trees everywhere blocking your view. Okay, there's nothing living there because it doesn't rain. So you could see all the way across to this, this mountain range that lay across the other side of the valley. It's called the San Bernardino Mountains. That rose, the, the highest peak in that mountain range was 8,000 feet above sea level. Okay? Big old Mount Washington here is about 700 feet above sea level. I, I don't even know if there's a Mount Washington. I don't know how they got that name. I don't see a mountain over there. You know what I mean? So these mountains are about 8,000 feet. And I, I can recall a time where I'm, I'm at home and I heard a rumbling. And this is, you know, every year we'd have a decent sized earthquake. But in this moment, I heard a rumbling. I had never seen the earth move before. And I, I had enough time to open up the curtains and look out, and I could see coming down that mountain off in the distance, I could literally see the ground doing this and coming towards me. And 
the whole, the whole land just trembling. And that's the vision that I get when I read this. That God descended on the mountain and the people are looking and you can just see the waves coming down. And I can tell you, when I looked out at that, I was scared. You know, the house gets shaken, things creaking, lamps, shades moving, chandeliers moving around, things get crazy in an earthquake. And can you imagine these people sitting at at the base of this mountain? It's kind of like in here during the week at at the office, there's this rock quarry over here. And every once in a while, they blast holes into the earth's surface. And I'll be sitting in my office. Now, our office manager, Terry, is really used to it. I don't even think she notices. Me, I yelp a little bit every single time. It shakes. The whole mountain trembled greatly under the weight of the glory of God. And it says, and as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. His voice was as thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses obeyed. Moses went up. Why did I go to all this detail? Remember who we are dealing with when we gather as the people of God. God doesn't change. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is still God. Sometimes we don't remember who we're dealing with. God is holy, righteous. He's set apart He's, he transcends all things. He's so glorious that the earth trembles under his weight. Later in Exodus, Moses will ask God to see a, just a glimpse of his glory and, and God in his grace. And we see God's grace here when he says, hey, set boundaries. Don't let the people come too close because if they get too close to me, they're going to just melt. Okay? They're going to be pulverized. They will cease to exist. Later on, Moses asked God to see his glory, and, and God tucks him away, it says, in, in the cleft of a rock, and, and passes by, and he says, okay, you can kind of look at my back as I come by, because if you look at my face, you're done, dude. You're gone. The prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, when he's confronted with the holiness of God, he says these words, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. And the Apostle Paul, when confronted by the Lord in the New Testament, is violently knocked to the ground and blinded for a number of days. That's who we're dealing with here. Know who you're dealing with. These people are confronted with the holiness of God. Church, I want you to be confronted with the holiness of God because it makes a relationship with Jesus Christ so much sweeter. This is the Lord our God. And so we know from Scripture, we know He's patient. We know He's loving. We know He's faithful. And, think of and in big capital letters, and He is perfect, holy, glorious, and righteous. God's big. He cannot be contained. Do not take God lightly. Christian and unbeliever in the room, don't take God lightly. And so, now getting into the passage, the Israelites must, our first point, be prepared to meet 
God. Covenant preparation. Covenant preparation. Looking to the text, verse 10, and then skipping to verses 14 to 15. The Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. That's one. And let them wash their garments. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. And then he says this. He said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. What must, what must one do to meet the Lord? We learned earlier in Exodus thirteen thirteen what this word consecrated means. In that passage, it says the firstborn of Israel was consecrated by a blood sacrifice of a perfect spotless lamb. That's what consecrated, that's what redeemed them. In preparation to meet God, I believe this passage is getting at that a, that a sacrifice had to be made before they met God, before they were confronted by the glory of God on the mountain. There had to be a sacrifice made on behalf of Israel. I believe we can be confident by connecting this passage to earlier passages in the context of Exodus that Moses made a sacrifice on behalf of the people before they were uh, to meet the glory of God on the mountain says this, they, they had to be washed and cleaned. Their garments could not be soiled or filthy. They couldn't be dirty before the Lord. Okay, think of it this way. The things that covered them had to be perfect and clean. Their covering, their outer garments had to be clean before God. They prepared themselves to meet the Lord by being covered with clean, spotless garments. And lastly, they needed to be focused on the Lord. Moses says in this passage, do not go near a woman. That was one when as I was going through and studying, I circled that and put a question mark next to it. What does this mean? What's going on here? He's not meaning do not go near a woman because a woman is unclean. Because guys, we know women are probably way more cleaner than we are. It just takes one minute from going in my 13-year-old's bedroom to he's, who's my son and my 16-year-old's bedroom who's my daughter. The smells are very different from one to the other. Okay, the meaning here is that they abstain in this season, in this short time period from sexual relations for a short period of time so that they can focus and pray to the Lord, so that their eyes are on the Lord and not on horizontal things. There's nothing wrong with sex in the context of the way that God has created it, but for a period of time, God is saying, hey, hold off and focus on me. Paul instructs in this manner in 1 Corinthians 7.5. He says this in instructing the Corinthian church. He says, do not deprive one another. And then he says this, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time. And the reason for that agreement is this, that you may devote yourselves to prayer. And then he says, but then come together again. Okay, we, I believe we can connect that back into this passage and see that God is preparing his people. Uh, don't be distracted. Focus on me. Consecrate yourself. Wash your garments clean. Focus on the Lord. 
In order to be prepared to meet the Lord, a sacrifice must be made, they must be clean, and their whole heart must be focused on Him. In Jesus, we find fulfillment of these preparations. You see, Jesus, we talked about consecration and sacrifice. Jesus is the spotless Lamb of God who consecrates His people by a better sacrifice. Why is His sacrifice better? Because we know that Jesus' sacrifice, His death on the cross, is a once and for all sacrifice. It is sufficient to save those who will place their faith and trust in His finished work. He shed His blood one time to cover the sins of the world, His His word says. The spotless lamb of God, Jesus, consecrates his people by a better sacrifice. Jesus is also the one who washes our garments. We get this picture a lot in scripture of covering, of our covering being clean. This is what Jesus has done for you, Christian, through faith and trust in his finished work. He has clothed you, his word says, in his righteousness so that you are spotless and clean, not because you got nice threads, but because Jesus has covered you. And through the indwelling of his Holy Spirit and his Inerrant, infallible word instructing you. We are able to focus on God, as God has called the people in this passage to do. We're able to focus on his statutes and his terms of obedience. Number two, we see a covenant mediator in this passage. A covenant mediator. There must be someone that is communicating with God on behalf of the people. Do all of the people go up and meet God on the top of the mountain? Are all the people called up there? No. Moses, and then later on, Aaron is called up. The people don't just go up to God on their own. There's a mediator between them and between him and them. Moses is a covenant mediator in this passage. God communicates through him, and Moses communicates to his people. We see a number of times. I mean, Moses must have, if he had his Fitbit on, he would have got a bunch of steps that day, back and forth, up and down, up and down, up and down. It says in verse 17, Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. How? Because they had a mediator between them and the Father. Again, throughout the passage, I want you to notice that Moses is going back and forth between God and the people, communicating God's instructions and carrying out all that the Lord commands. We see incredible obedience from Moses in this passage. We see the sanctifying work of God, I believe, in this passage on Moses. He's obedient to the Lord. You don't... Back in Exodus 3, he's arguing with God about how he can or can't do this. But here he's saying, yes, Lord, and goes down and talks, and then takes their words back up to God, and back and forth. It's beautiful. Now, at the end of this, I want you to file away mediator, because we're going we're gonna to circle back around to that at the end of the sermon today, in our gospel connection point. 
Lastly, number three, we see covenant blessing in this passage. We see covenant blessing. Going back into the first passage, 19, 5 and 6, God declares this, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, okay, if you, then he says, you shall, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. God's saying, I can do whatever I want. It's mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the promises of God set forth to Israel. And he says, these are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. The promise of blessing reminds us again of the larger covenantal framework in which God is working. This blessing, I believe, is in the context of the earlier covenant to Abraham. That's why I spoke on it earlier, back in Genesis chapter 12, which is now being realized. We're starting to understand the covenant starting to work itself out through Israel. It's being realized more fully through Israel in this passage. God has done this. He has saved them. That's been accomplished. Do we agree that? God saved them out of the land of Egypt. That's been finished through his mighty hand and his powerful work. Hey, scripture says they weren't that special. But God placed his love on them and saved them. He set them apart. He blessed them. But we can't help but know the way that history goes, right, church? We know from Scripture that Israel oftentimes fails in their upholding of the covenant agreement. You see, God's always faithful to his end of the agreement. You read through the Old Testament, their history is one of great mountaintop experiences we're seeing here, and also what? Dark valleys. One of great blessing and one of great discipline. But I want to assure you of this. God's not reactive in all of this. God's not caught off guard. You see, we have to hold up a mirror to ourselves too. We can read this and we can hold up a shaky judgmental finger towards Israel and their history, but we are also hopelessly unable, I am also hopelessly unable to uphold the covenant of God. Why? Because I am and you are, we are all too marred by sin. The Bible says this, for all have sinned and what? Fallen short of the glory of God. So it's real easy for us to look at the history of Israel and say, man, they're just a bunch of mess ups. Church, I'm a mess up too. But his redemptive plan is always perfect. God is well aware of how this will play out and has established from before the foundation of the world one, capital O, one, because it's his name, Jesus Christ, who will come and will perfectly fulfill this law. And this covenant that Israel had so much trouble upholding, 
Because Jesus is this. He's the true and better Israel. He's fulfilled it perfectly. And here's the good news. Through faith in him, the blessing of being God's treasured possession and a kingdom of priests and a holy nation is fully realized through Jesus. These blessings are imparted to all who will place their faith and trust in his work. Peter reminds us of the benefits of the blessings that we receive through a new and better covenant. Scripture uh, speaks of a new and better covenant that benefits everybody, both Jew, Scripture teaches us, both Jew and Gentile. Through trusting the Savior, Jesus Christ, we have these promises in 1 Peter 2, 4-5, and then verse 9. It says, as you come to him, who's the him? Jesus A living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God. Hear this. Chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Isn't that beautiful? A living... He's the cornerstone, and we're all the living stones being built on his perfect and holy foundation. On his work. Peter says this, to be a holy what? Priesthood. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He says this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you, this is where you were, out of darkness, where? Into his, not just his light, but his marvelous light. Do those words from Peter sound familiar? Exodus 19, 5 and 6. The echo of the covenant promised from Exodus 19, we see in the words of the apostle Peter, for every person who will place their faith and trust in Jesus. And so we're brought to our gospel connection. Here's our gospel connection. And I had to quote somebody because as I was reading this week, this guy just said it better than I would. It says, He, Jesus, is the mediator who goes and speaks with God for us and who makes us, hear this, pure enough for God. That's what Jesus has done for us. Hebrews helps us out so much in this particular passage. We have to go to Hebrews for some very direct connections to this passage, linking all these points together. The author of Hebrews first declares in Hebrews 3.3, for Jesus has been counted worthy of, what, more glory than Moses? We've been saying that almost every week. Jesus is the better Moses because he is the perfect mediator. I told you we were going to come back around to that. He's the perfect mediator. He has done all that God requires in the law. We'll understand the law a little bit more fully next week. But here in the preparation, here on the mountain of awesomeness and terror and fright, in Exodus, we, camp, we capture a glimpse now when we set this next to the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, we're going to see what Jesus will do for us, what Jesus has done for us. Watch this connection. I want you to pay attention Hebrews 12, 18 to 24. 
For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. Does that sound familiar? Confronted with the holiness of God, we should tremble with fear. But Jesus, right? We no longer have to tremble with fear because we have a great mediator that has gone between the holy and righteous Father being holy and righteous Himself and has reconciled us through faith to Him. So that, again, a but in the Bible, but you have come to where? Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering. That's a beautiful picture. And to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. Through Christ you are enrolled in heaven. And to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And to Jesus, the mediator of what? A new covenant, thank goodness, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel or a blood of a human. Abel was a good guy, but he was still a sinner. Jesus' blood is perfect. Jesus is the once and for all sacrifice that covers sin. Jesus, through faith in his work, has clothed you in his perfect, gleaming, white garments, no matter what you've done. And Jesus, through his spirit that has indwelt you, it has you focused on him, focused on the Lord. Amen? I want to invite our band to come forward as we spend some time reflecting on the death of Christ this morning.